I'd like to welcome Rasa Blanchard to our second series of podcasts. And Rasa and I have known each other for a number of years. And one of the unique things about Rasa is that over the years, Rasa has stuck really finely to recruiting and recruiting salespeople. And I found that to be a really refreshing uh, experience because often I find people have come to see me in my various executive roles and they've sort of said, we can do anything for you, what would you like, you know, um, as opposed to saying, this is what I'm best in the world at, and this is how I can help you. And that's what I found with Rasa. So Rasa's career in IT commenced as the deck buyer for TechPack. Rasa then moved into a product marketing role at Cisco, then to a role with Cisco directly as marketing manager, and then on to marketing programs manager for Cisco APAC Enterprise Business Stream giving her great experience and first-hand knowledge and insights into the sales models, structures, and methodologies across the market that work best. Uh, in 2003, she transitioned into IT recruitment, building partnerships with the largest IT employers in the region. Then, in 2019, she then founded Solstice Recruitment to combine her two passions, recruitment and technology sales. Her experience and knowledge of the market gives her clients unique and valuable support on building successful teams of tech sales professionals. So welcome, Rasa. How are you? Good. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. Well, in the preparation for this podcast, you and I talked about a number of things. And, and one of the things, as I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, that really strikes me with you is your the unique value you bring in a specialist field of recruiting salespeople. Can you tell me a bit about why you decided salespeople and how you found that and what's happened with that with that over the years? Yep. So interestingly enough, I started out recruiting technical IT people in the early days as a contract recruiter, and that was sort of my entrance into recruitment, which was fun. Um, but prior to joining recruitment, I worked in the technology sector directly. I'd worked in a distributor, I'd worked in a vendor, I understood the channel very well. And gradually I've evolved into recruiting IT people for the technology sector. That happened over a number of years and um, it was an area that a lot of other agencies steered clear from. It's a volatile part, sort of area to recruit in. Yes. You do have to use those guarantees sometimes. Yeah, salespeople yeah. work in all organisations, but it was an area that I understood. I felt a lot better than other recruiters because I'd been in that market myself, and I knew the challenges that each sort of individual salesperson had in each part of the market. So whether they were channel, whether they were enterprise direct, mid tier direct, they're all different types of sales cycles, and they have different challenges associated with them. That's and, and that's really interesting, and, and and getting that very specialist insight probably enables you to give those guarantees because you know the people you're hiring and you get that feeling as to whether someone's going to fit or not into an organization. Yes. And how do you, how do you, when you talk to a salesperson and how do you, when you talk to the prospective employer, what are the balances that you use between those two to sort of get the perfect match as it were? Oh, it's a good question. Um, there's a lot of instinct, which I know is probably not quite the right thing to say, but, um, when I'm talking to a candidate, I'm very much trying to understand their 
sales cycle that they're most comfortable in, how they operate, how they manage their pipeline, where their leads come from, do they generate leads, do they need the support of a marketing team, where their technical knowledge sits, do they need pre-sales, are they working in partnership with somebody else. And from that, you can kind of uncover an environment that's going to work well for them. So when I'm taking a brief from a hiring manager, this is all the type of information I'm also getting from the hiring manager. So I know what the candidate's going to walk into in an organisation. It's really critical because I do have experience where the role that's described may not necessarily be the role that they walk into. Yes, and actually you'll be amazed at how many organisations don't have up-to-date job descriptions as well, even in those sales roles. They have a very generic job description, um, but that doesn't describe the type of portfolio that they're going to be working with, the sort of duration of a sales cycle, the complexity of a solution sell. None of that comes out in a JD more often than not. That's right. And then if we move over to the actual, the individual, the salesperson that you're talking to, how do you then marry those two? How do you find, because we've all had experience with salespeople, we, you and I are both salespeople, so we're the, probably the best and the worst examples of what we're, what we're talking what, about. I mean, being a bit too, uh, a bit too much bravado. A bit too much. How yeah, do you cut through that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you cut through um, that? Yeah. Look, it's an interesting one because you do talk to a lot of candidates and you do get the overly confident bravado piece, the candidate who doesn't think they need to actually sell themselves in order to get the opportunity. Inevitably, they're the ones who aren't going to get the opportunity because they need to understand that you work with a recruiter as a team and you give the recruiter the information that they need and they'll sell you into the opportunity that you want. Yes. Um, so it never ceases to amaze me when you get some highly talented salespeople that don't recognise that the recruitment process is similar to a sale process when they're engaging with a new customer. That's really, really interesting because I'd like to explore about what research should those salespeople be doing before they go into that meeting? Because I don't know about you, but I've been very disappointed on many occasions when I've talked to salespeople and we've been planning for a meeting and they'll say, oh, it's okay, we'll wing it. You know, yeah, and so if they go and win, yeah, it's, terrible. it is terrible. So what's that research they should be doing and how, how do they, how do they sort of reflect that to you? They need to treat it like they're going to a new prospect meeting with a client. They yeah. need to research everyone they're going to meet. They need to research the organization. They've got a resource of me who's there to support them. They need to ask all the crazy questions that they can possibly think of before they go in. Now I might be only able to answer 80% of them, but at least we'll get them prepared yes. for that meeting. Um, they need to demonstrate that commitment to the recruitment process to the hiring company by actually doing their research before they walk in. And I can tell you, I've had cases where very senior experienced um, business development managers have gone into an interview. The hiring manager has said, oh, what do you know about us? And they've said, oh, well, Rasa told me, blah, blah, blah. But they've not demonstrated any initiative or personal research. Yeah. And it's like, bong, bong, yes. you're gone. Yes. doesn't matter how good you are. You've just failed to show interest and commitment to that organisation. So they're not going to hire you. And, and very often organisations these days, you know, again, 10 or 15 years ago, um, the hiring manager alone was the sales manager. Yes. And today that's changed. And are yes. you, well, who are you seeing in that hiring process today? <laughs> Look, that depends on the organisation, but inevitably there's going to be a, a sales leader, potentially a CEO and HR involved in the process with a technical organisation who has a fairly technical sell, there will also be a pre-sales or an engineering person in that interview process as well. 
Um, some of my clients are a bit of a cast of thousands when they try and do their recruitment process. So you've got a few peer interviews too, and that can get quite tough. Mm. Um, and it takes quite a while to get to know the interview styles of each of those individuals so that you can prep a candidate properly. And it doesn't happen straight away. Usually when you've placed three or four roles with one company, you can very confidently tell them what each interview style is going to be like and they can sort of prepare appropriately. Are you finding those interviews um, are uh, individual interviews or are there, are, there, are there team panel interviews going on? Look, it's both depending on the circumstance and Often where, and I'm thinking of one particular client where they do like to have quite a few interviews. If I can't get the diaries to coordinate, it can be quite a laborious process for the candidate and it really can go on for a long period of time, which is both um, frustrating for the candidate but also potentially dangerous for the employing company because they'll lose the candidate to another opportunity in the meantime. Yes. So I do, now I, I know that I've been recruiting intensively for two years for that particular company and I do know each of the stakeholders very well and I will sort of try and coordinate them together, um, which is no small feat because half of yes. them travel half the time, but <laughs> <laughs> other than in COVID, but um, it, it, it still varies, but it's generally a, not a single person decision these days. That's And that's interesting. You mentioned COVID and of course, during COVID, we were video conference dependent. Are you still seeing video conferencing as an, as a strong interview mechanism or are you seeing, and are you seeing it move back to face to face? What's that looking like? No, it's really a combination. So video is quite good for the first interview because it, it takes up less time in people's diaries. Yes. They feel more, um, comfortable doing an initial video meeting before they actually do a face to face. Inevitably, face-to-face is now the closing part of the recruitment process um, if it's not involved earlier. There is also the geography aspect. So um, I do a lot of uh, national teams and the hiring manager is not sitting in the same place as the candidate more often than not. So video is fantastic and we don't have to get people on planes all the time. Yes, that's great. And are there different techniques that you would recommend for a video versus a face-to-face? What's the? What are your thoughts there? Uh, are you seeing? That's a really good question, actually, because I I don't know if I've given that a lot of thought. I do think the face to face at some point in the process is, is really important because when a salesperson goes into an organisation, they're engaging with other people in that company, whether it's reception, whether it's other staff, and you want to see how that person does that within your own organisation. And, you know, one of those little key things is go up to the receptionist and ask them what they thought of the person when they came to sign in and were they nice and polite and respectful. And if they say something that's quite negative, you're like, well, that's what they're going to do on my client side. Completely, completely. Yeah, how do they react to the waiter, as it were, the person who apparently (laughs) isn't important but uh, is very. Now, also you mentioned around um, if... Organisations don't move quickly and they can possibly lose candidates. We know that a year ago, well, I know that a year ago, uh, it was definitely a candidate's market. There were a lot fewer candidates than the positions were around. What are you seeing today in the marketplace? How's that spreading out? So there is definitely a shift underway. That power shift is moving back towards the hiring manager. Um, in the IT market, in general, there's probably a, a greater shift than there is in the sales arena. Revenue generation is still of the utmost importance. So the hiring process and need for salespeople is still there. Although there will be less 
opportunities available, what you'll find is that the candidates will be competing against more other candidates to actually get those opportunities. So they will need to be more polished. They will need to be more careful. They're not going to get away with winging it, as you say, as they may have thought they could in the past. Yes. Those candidates that make the extra effort are definitely going to be the ones that get those opportunities. Absolutely. And and does that also talk to the greater complexity in what they're selling today? We, you know, we're going to talk a bit in a, in, a, in a while about present, past and future, but how do you see clients and with things like automation and artificial intelligence and sophisticated moves to the cloud, how do you see their requirement for salespeople going? A really good question. Some organisations are expecting the salesperson to have a much higher level of technical understanding. They're not necessarily expecting that salesperson to do the pre-sales piece, but they are expecting them to have a fairly high-level technical conversation with a CTO or a CIO. Other organisations are seeing the salesperson purely as the relationship piece who brings in the subject matter expert. So it really varies, and it varies on the complexity of the solution that that Mm -hmm. organisation is selling and potentially who their market is. In a mid-tier scenario, you've got to be pretty technically strong. You're going to get a variety of type of technical conversations you're going to have with a customer in most cases. In that enterprise space, they're more likely, and this is just what I see in the market, but they're more likely to bring in a subject matter expert and and actually have a pre-sales person buddied up with them 100% of the time. Yes. As you were talking, I was thinking to myself, the mid-tier and the enterprise and where the mid-tier salesperson uh, needs to be more versatile, exactly. more rounded, and in the enterprise, perhaps not as rounded because they've got more support sitting there, which comes, you know, comes with its cost, right? In, I write in my book about dating agents because sometimes salespeople can just become a dating agent in that they walk into a meeting and they get smart technical person, talk to smart client, and I'll sit back and I'll arrange the lunch. Whereas in the... <laughs> it is true, unfortunately. And that's what I want to stamp out of the industry because we need people who are client experts and who can have a conversation around a solution outcome. I don't think they need to know what buttons glow and what lights turn on and off when it's occurring, but they do need to know enough technically to why this works in their environment. And those people that have that capability now are the ones that are in the highest demand as well. They're the ones that are still in this environment going to be tapped on the shoulder a lot. They're going to have a lot of opportunities presented to them. They're going to be the ones who can... um, probably pick and choose where they go. The thing that I don't think I'm going to see this year, which we had last year, is the huge sign-on bonuses, the guarantees on commission. I think organisations are going to be reluctant to take that level of risk. Last year, I had probably the single biggest sign-on bonus I'd ever seen in my career to date. So that's nearly 20 years of recruiting these people. And it was absolutely out of control. Um, thankfully, he accepted it and has been in the organisation for quite a while now. Yes. It's all going very well. Yes. yes. Um, but I don't think I'm going to see deals like that happening this year. Yeah. Yeah, I've always quizzed someone on bonuses and guarantees of commission in that, and, and often people, salespeople have said, oh, but I'm walking away from X commission at my old role to come here. And you wonder why they would do that. Uh, I'm, I've been a bit sceptical as to whether that's real and I'm sceptical as to whether it's there are reasons valuable. That, look, there are reasons that people will leave a trailing commission 
new manager, don't yes. like their manager, organisation's been sold, um, don't like the future vision of the company, technology is obsolete uh, or, you know, there's a competitive product or solution in the market which is just basically making it impossible to sell. Maybe the price point from that organisation isn't competitive in the market and that person doesn't have the sort of control of it. Um, changing commission structures is another one. Yes, so, it's very common. Yeah, yeah, so you do. There are reasons why somebody would jump ship, but generally, if somebody is on a good commission structure, they're doing well. They are very hard to move. Yeah, yeah. Why would you? Why would you? Yeah, and yeah. do you find that uh, in the market there is a floating community of salespeople who perhaps have done their six to nine months at an organisation, perhaps are getting found out? Do you do you see yeah, that working are, around? Okay, yeah. so, so classic recruitment, there are red flags in a profile. Yes. There are candidates that you probably would never approach because it, it's very obvious very quickly. You know what to look for. You'll see that this is somebody who's potentially moving because they're not performing. Yes. COVID threw a spanner in the works for that, though. So we saw a lot of jumpiness for that two years. And we saw a lot of um, very talented salespeople not perform for various reasons. And so you needed to take some of that with a grain of salt and you needed to investigate why they've sort of done what they've done and yes. not done. And the thing that really stands out for me for some of these candidates is I want to know if they weren't performing, what did they do about it and how did they manage that situation and what did they do to try and overcome that situation and did they just jump ship or did they try and work closely with that organisation to find other ways to increase revenue? Absolutely. And I think this is where your expertise and value shines through in that inch wide and a mile deep, um, you know, uh, an analogy in that you can help discover those things as opposed to being a generalist and not discover those things. Because I'm, I've seen circumstances where we've had a, in previous organisations, a salesperson in one patch underperforming, move them to a new patch, same organisation, same things to yes. sell, suddenly performing. And so they're the questions that you would ask to uncover. Is this circumstantial or is this habitual? That's Absolutely. very interesting. And a lot of that also comes from me managing salespeople myself in my past. So um, if, you're, if you've got a bunch of named accounts and that market isn't actually purchasing at the moment, what are you doing about it? Yes. Why are you not going to your manager and asking to do some new business development, do some new logo acquisition somewhere else to try and increase it? There are organisations I've come across, and usually the really big ones, um, who have very restrictive movement around portfolios and markets, and that can really hinder certain salespeople if, if they've picked up the wrong portfolio. Yes. Um, but you do need to dig with that, and you do need to sort of background check that as well because there could be the BS factor as well. <laughs> and, 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 but, but I think this is the thing that has always impressed me about you, Russ, is the pragmatic approach to it, right? You go, there is a bit of rubbish in our industry on, on occasions, and I've got to be able to cut through that because if you don't cut through that inch wide, mile deep again, uh, you're, you're not able to deliver the best value yeah. to your clients. Interestingly, let's turn it a little bit. How do you go and find new clients? How do you sell to oh. new clients? <laughs> um, I'm a little bit lucky. I don't really have to do a lot to find new clients. They generally find me. Um, they they are my own personal network, having been in the industry for so long, uh, as senior executives of technology companies. Um, a lot of them were peers of mine when we were junior sales and marketing people back in the day. New clients or people that I haven't sort of previously dealt with generally are referrals and they're a referral either from another client or a candidate. Right. Okay. 
And whereabouts do you go into that organisation? You've mentioned people you know. Uh, sea level, preferably. Sea level, preferably, and 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 then build out that experience from from. Yeah, the, yeah. Or, it's yeah. very much revenue generation starts at the top. So it's a CEO, a managing director, or a sales director is a bare minimum. I, I don't really touch. I'll sometimes HR, but I don't really touch into the other parts of the organisation anymore because of the area that I'm recruiting in. Yes, it's there. The decision making generally sits with the sales director and the CEO. Uh, I also want to be dealing with the people that are responsible for the vision of that company to understand the sort of career potential for people going into the organisation. Mm-hmm. Um, salespeople want to know where their career can evolve into and um, without having those sort of senior relationships, you're just not going to get that information and sure. you're not going to sort of understand the direction of that company in the long term. And in the marketplace today, how are you seeing the you know, the change that's occurring. There, there are a few mergers going on. There are acquisitions occurring. What do you see? How do you see that affects you in your business? How do you, how do you balance up your, what I would call your, your, your approach to a client that you've had for a while that then might be in an acquisition process? How do you change that approach? Well, on the recruitment side, depending on the acquisition, different, you, you can have different policies coming into place. So you could have an organization that, didn't have their own talent acquisition team who's suddenly been acquired by a company that has their own talent acquisition team, which can be a real killer for me. Yes. Um, but funnily enough, sales recruitment, so revenue generation recruitment is one of those areas that often the talent acquisition team will outsource. Yes. So far, I haven't had many clients where I've had to cease operating with because of those sorts of changes. Inevitably, you'll get a pause okay, hiring is going to go and freeze for three months or six months while we actually get through this acquisition. Then we're going to iron out which roles are staying and who's going. But inevitably there's opportunity because a whole bunch of people will often leave by their own choice Mm -hmm. during that process and suddenly you've got vacancies in key sales roles. Excellent. And we've skirted around this a little bit as we've been talking and it's around when we were talking about how an organization speaks to lead times and product and backlog and all those things. How does an organization make themselves look attractive to a client? Are you seeing organizations intentionally create an attract policy for people to come and join or how's that going? Some are significantly better than others. Yes. So some have very strong HR teams who have very good employee value propositions and, you know, market them and promote them and have great benefits for employees. Um, others don't. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> but the real thing is it's about that candidate, that salesperson, what environment do they need to be successful and what support do they need to be enabled to be successful and matching that up with the organisation that either has those things or doesn't. So I'll give you an idea. Some some organisations don't have the support teams around the marketing person, don't have the, you know, marketing generating leads for them or um, they don't have a full pre-sales team and so forth. Some salespeople will love to be empowered to own the entire process themselves and will thrive in that environment. Other salespeople who maybe are coming out of a bigger organisation where they've been very well supported will really struggle with that yes. because all of a sudden they're going, why do I have to create my own PowerPoint presentation and where is the um, junior rep making cold calls for me? Mm-hmm. So it is, again, that matching process of the candidate who thrives in a certain environment putting them into another environment that they'll then thrive into as well. Yes. it's uh, And 
and and the reason it's a real struggle, isn't it? Because we always want to be improving ourselves, and we want to improve the the stock of the people, and in this case, salespeople. We want to improve that stock in the market. What happens when it fails? What happens when you place someone and it fails? How do you handle that? How do you you know are you part of that process? The part of the debrief that. Uh, Depends on how it's failed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I had a I had a, an awful experience last year for the first time in my entire career where I had a candidate turn up for the first day and then not go back. Really? Okay. Um, yeah. So that was interesting. So I, I actually um, had to – I got some external assistance on this one from a HR organisation just to understand the legal ramifications for the hiring company. Yeah. And got them to engage directly with the CEO and make sure that we were acting accordingly so that uh, there was no sort of ongoing lingering issues from that. So that was resolved. So that was like a (laughs) candidate-driven fire. fire. So it's it's one of those funny things that so um, friends of mine who are talent acquisition managers in in technology companies, they always tell me about these stories and it's usually the technical roles where these things happen. I know. In sales, it's not that's quite unusual, I think. It it is, and I've I've thanked my lucky stars that it hasn't happened to me until last year it happened to me. And um, anyway, it's now resolved and uh, we've filled the position with somebody else. That's great. And what about from the other side where someone's turned up, they love the place, but the place doesn't love them. What, what what have you seen occur in that? Actually, thankfully, that hasn't happened in the last few years, but it's probably happened before COVID. Yes. Um, you get very involved in that process of removing the person from the organisation, usually within their probation period. And I do make a point of checking in at the time of the end of the probation period to make sure that if there are any issues, they're being addressed and sort of actioned accordingly so that all parties are taken care of. Are you finding that people are, organisations are sort of ceasing people's employment more beyond behaviours or more on performance? Are you, are you seeing they, where's the balance well, there? It's a good question. I'm not seeing a lot of it because I'm not seeing. Much not much, not happening anyway. Down. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and touch wood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, thankfully it doesn't happen too often. Yeah. But it is one thing in sales recruitment, you do need a replacement guarantee yes. and you do need to be prepared to do it occasionally. Yeah. And I guess this comes back to the knowing your value to your client yeah. because then you only put people in front of them that are that are like 95% fits. You know, you, 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 yeah. you can never have a 100% guarantee, I guess, but you, you go, you know what? Everything tells me about this person. And you mentioned earlier on that you shouldn't use gut feel. I actually think you should. I reckon, <laughs> I reckon, I think gut there feel. There is an instinct. Yeah, there I think is gut feel is, yeah, is instinct and experience mixed together, right? Yeah. yeah. But, um, so you are only putting people in front of them who are, you know, you know, this is going to work. Yeah. So since I started Solstice, the, um, I did have one candidate to replace besides the chap that didn't start on, on his second day. Um, and he actually left. He, he received, on his own choice, he received an offer that was ridiculously high and it was last year and uh, he apologised profusely to me and said, I'm so sorry, but I needed to take it. And when you looked at the salary variance, I get it, and so did the organisation, but, you know, we replaced his role quickly and it, they were fine. It, it, it's disappointing, frustrating, but... Um, it can happen. Yes. People are people and yes. obviously that offer that he got was very good. Now I would question why was he interviewing at the pros at the time. Yeah, that's right. Why are we why are but, we yeah, uh, are we shaking hands with yeah. yeah. It's interesting. 
Tell me about the gender balance. How have you seen? It's terrible. What's terrible? Okay, great, <laughs> great, great. I, because I think it is terrible, right? It's it's like in my experience, ninety ten or somewhere near there. Yeah, it's uh, look. Some of my clients, I've seen quite good gender balance. Yeah, the vast majority no. Um, females are definitely. Um, in the minority in that sort of part of the market. Um, I'd like to see, obviously, a lot more females in that part of the market. I've, I've done a few roles recently, or when I say recently, last year, which was sort of junior salespeople, and we've seen a lot more females coming up through that space who perhaps have come from a pre-sales background. Yes. Um, who are interested in taking on that sales role. So that's quite encouraging, but it's still... I think we're still a long way away from having that balance. I, I agree. I think that it is, it's encouraging what you've just said around having more of a gender balance coming in and people coming in from, uh, you know, maybe technical roles and experiencing yeah. that because the industry definitely needs to address that as a, as a, as a, as a circumstance because, um, it's right. That's just the, it's just right. It is balanced equally, but you see so much more that the enterprise, the end user client, has addressed it much more quickly within their environment. Absolutely. And so how are you going to do, how are you going to sell like for like? How are you going to have an understanding yeah. if you've got a male, pale and stale approach to your sales team yeah. when your client doesn't have that? The days of the old boys club are really going away. Yes. Pretty much have gone away, but it is still an issue that needs to be fixed. Um, I do have organisations that will strongly hint, please, please find mm -hmm. your female candidates. Yeah. And um, I do my best to assist them, but sometimes you, you can't find Well, if the, the barrel, if the drawer's empty, yeah, yes. If there's no talent available yeah. yes. um, at that time for that type of sales role, then it is what it is. Absolutely. We've talked a bit about, or primarily about senior salespeople, experienced salespeople, and you just mentioned entry-level salespeople. What is the skill difference that you look for in an entry-level salesperson to what you'd be looking for in a senior salesperson? Is there a, is there a, difference there yeah there is it's um it's an appetite for sales yes it's a a desire to own that sales process and that confidence to put themselves out there so what i call no call reluctance the good old days of cold calling it does still happen in certain roles is that you know, there's no hesitation when you say, okay, you're going to have to call 30 customers and this yeah. is a script you might need to read from. And okay, good. Because often what you'll get is you can, you can wheedle out the ones that won't do well because they'll be like, what? Well, I can't do that. I can't. I, I can't prefer to text them. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Can I send them an email? Well, yeah. that's part of your process. But... <laughs> Maybe, but not the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and it, it's interesting when I um, talk to sort of more junior candidates and I ask them where their leads come from. And how do you generate leads? And that just, they start talking about the activities that they do and that shows you everything. Yes. So the minute they say, oh, well, you know, I use uh, Sales Navigator on LinkedIn, but then I also um, find it easier if I, I use Lusher and I find their phone number and I just ring them up. And you're like, beautiful. Beautiful. I've got one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, going for it. Yeah. Very interesting because that, that world is the world that I believe is the place I believe you need to home grow your sales team. Yes. I think you need to, Bring them at an entry level and, and then mature them through and Andrew, look up. And you have to keep them. And keep and them. hang on to Look them. after That's them. That's the hard part because yes. somebody else like me is going to tap on the shoulder yeah, and take yeah, Exactly. And, they, and they've got to say, actually, I'm not interested. Yeah. Yeah. And they've, got, and they've got to understand where they are in the sale because I've seen it where people have been teased away from me um, as a junior salesperson for double the money that I'm paying them 
they are really worth the money I'm paying them. And then a year later, they're back again because they failed in the other job yeah, because the they, they were, the salary. expectation was yeah. too high on their salary and the yep. expectation on their deliverable was, was too high from the, from the organization. Really, really interesting. Um, reference checks. In recent times, I've seen an automated reference. You know, people will yeah. ring me and say, I put you down for a reference. Is that okay? And first of all, I say, well, you should have asked me beforehand, but yes, <laughs> it would have been nice to ask me beforehand. But yes, uh, yeah, uh, that's fine. And then suddenly I get an email to follow a series of links to do a reference check. Now, I generally don't do those. I'll contact the organization and say, if you want a reference from me, you get a human to ring me and we'll have a conversation about that. Where where are you on that? What does that look like for you and how do you do those things? Look, I like to do the reference checks myself the old school way because I will probe then and dig into their answers. And if you're getting sort of one word answers, I'm looking for red flags. Yes. So if somebody is just answering a questionnaire manually without that sort of conversation piece, you don't get an opportunity to probe and you don't really find out what's going on. I also want to find out if they've got any tips for the best way to manage that person moving forward. And so that's a conversation I have with them at the very end. Yes. Reference checks, some of them are the hiring managers are really skilled at giving them. Others, the hiring manager really couldn't give a toss. And so that can be a bit of a red flag for me as well. Like, why do they not care about the well-being of this person? Or is it that they just offended at some point that they resigned from their organisation, which can happen with yes. people after yeah. all. Yeah. Um, but I think for a technical role, that kind of automated reference check, again, is okay if you're looking for certain just skills. Yes, yeah. no's. What level are they out of 10? Sure. Um, but if you want to talk about sales style, engagement with customer, engagement with, you know, stakeholders across the organisation, collaboration, they're a conversation. I think so. I, and I think that... Maybe I sound a bit old school. No. Well, <laughs> I think there are some things that need that, need that personal input because we generally know that people don't give a referee unless they're going to get a good report from them. Oh, okay. Well, tell me about that. That's interesting because uh, that's, yeah. Not so much for sales since I've been yeah. just doing sales, but when I used to do technical roles, um, oh, the classic, the classic ones is when I was a junior recruiter and I was putting a Citrix engineer into an organisation and um, he gave me his references. He'd interviewed, he'd done really well. Um, and the referee said, oh, no, he doesn't, we don't do Citrix. He doesn't do Citrix. What are you talking about? For? <laughs> really? Like, are you for real? So I rang the next one. I got the same response. And I said, oh, my God, I'm going to have to ring the third reference now. So I rang the third, same response. The guy's never been to Citrix engineer, but he bluffed his way. He bluffed it right through with the CTO as well. And then I had to ring up the organisation and say, I'm withdrawing. I'm it. sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm not placing this guy. Trust gone. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like that. Reference is bad. <laughs> sounds like that New York Republican candidate that said he had all these degrees and had nothing in the yes, end. That's really yes. interesting. Yeah, wow. He, look, he obviously knew enough to be dangerous. He got yes. through with the CTO, who was obviously very technically strong. And um, yeah, they, yeah, they unpicked him from there. It was a bit of an earth shattering moment in my early days of recruitment. Fantastic. Um, so, what about. What's recruiting going to be like in five years' time for you, Russell? What's that looking like? So, you know, we, it was commodity sort of engine of five to ten years ago, fifteen years ago. It was fill the decks with people who could sell technology. Today, we're talking about a bit of cloud and advanced technologies and automation suite and the like. Um, 
five years' time, what do you see it being? How do you see you there's, working into that? There's a lot of new tools that are coming into play to help recruitment and different types of recruitment. Um, and some of them, I believe, have got a lot of value that they bring to the process. For sales, it's a relationship-based role. It's a person-to-person, even if it's B2B sales, it's still a person-to-person relationship it still relies on that person having excellent interpersonal skills and being able to relate to other people. Yeah. So my feeling is that the recruitment of those people is still going to involve a traditional recruitment process. I don't think you can beat it with technology. Um, there are ways that the process might be sped up. Researching profiles can potentially be done with AI Um There's a lot more video interviewing being done these days, which I find a bit disjointed myself I mm-hmm. use it I'm not opposed to it but I personally haven't engaged it myself um, but there are new methods to speed up certain parts of the process that are coming onto the market which we'll see but ultimately for a salesperson you've got to be meeting them yeah as a really good mate of mine says sales is a contact sport yeah so you've got to get in there and be in the contact sport 100%. of it I, I agree I think we'll use some more tools but we can't remove that capability to have the face-to-face. Rasa, what a great conversation. I've really, really enjoyed it. I think we've covered some a diverse area of, um, of recruiting in sales speciality. So thanks very much. Look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon. Thank you. Ta.